0: college basketball. It's amazing to me how this game can generate so much money and these kids still aren't able to reap some of those benefits and they risk injuries. Zion's going down with an injury. His shoe literally blew out. The spectacle of the all-star game. Sometimes you take it for granted and then as you get older, you start to appreciate it again that much more realizing that it's almost over. And I think you see a lot of those guys going through that, that phase of, man, this could be my last one.
1: The game has just changed. You know, you have seven-footers now who can shoot the ball from distance, and they're at a premium. Whereas in the 90s, if you shot the three ball, there was a little bit of stigma. You you might have some softness to you if you were a big...
0: Welcome to the Aaron Baines episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 46. All Star Break is officially coming to a close as I record this podcast. Duke and North Carolina are playing right now. Great rivalry. NBA basketball had a six, seven day hiatus. We'll get back started tomorrow on Thursday where games resume. A lot of guys went on vacation, a lot of guys were uh, getting tans, resting. I was playing with pigs, feeding pigs, swimming with sharks, enjoying some downtime, uh, gaining some sun rays, and just kind of relaxing and being able to step away from the game. Jordan took a different approach. He was working, as always, you know, on the ground at All-Star Weekend in Charlotte, enjoying his time there, being around a lot of star athletes. I'm sure there's a lot of parties he attended and had a great time. But without further ado, welcome Jordan Schultz to the pull-up pod, as always. Let's talk about All-Star Weekend. Our trips were... Different, very different. I was able to kind of step away from the game, no traffic, um, drinking some pina coladas, a lot of water, a little little bit of a root beer, uh, some island food, some piche, a lot of that stuff. Whereas you were in the rain. It was about, I don't know, 55, 60 degrees in Charlotte. How was your week? And did anything surprise you about All-Star Weekend?
2: The Queen City. It's my first time in Charlotte. It's I liked it. You know, it was... It was really fun. My only my only problem with All-Star CJ is that it's so hectic and the balance of trying to figure out who, who you're going to meet with, who you're going to talk to, where you're going to go, it just never seems like you get enough done or everything done you'd wanted to. And so in some ways it's unfulfilling, even though you took all these meetings and you – you know, felt like you were able to develop some relationships. So for me, it's it's kind of like a bittersweet deal, the All-Star weekend.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And having gone to some of the All-Star games in the past and, and participate in three-point contests, participating in the skills, did some interviews uh, during the Friday night activities, courtside, there's just so many people in one area, so many events, the traffic is insane, the amount of people who come out to either watch the game, get autographs, or in hopes of securing a baller. Uh, it's it's unlike anything you'll see, and I'm honestly glad, you know, everybody wants to make the All-Star game. They want to be a part of that week, but I'm glad I was able to kind of get a break and refresh and, and kind of take a step back as we look forward to, to closing out this season strong and, and finishing up these last 25 games before this playoff push. How
2: How far away from basketball are you able to get? Are you not Are you almost not thinking about it every day or obviously it's in your frame of mind, but I just feel like that recharge is something that, you know, you talk about a lot in terms of having that healthy balance between basketball and then regular life.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in the back of your mind. Um, Watching some of the uh, All-Star Weekend festivities, obviously, I tried to watch three-point contests. I watched some of the dunk contests Uh, before I went to bed. It was a little late. I'm not used to being on the East Coast and having those late uh, starts. Uh, being on the West Coast, we get the benefit of you know six four o'clock games or four thirty games, and then six or seven o'clock games. But uh, it's in the back of your mind as you start to eat things like hot dogs or hamburgers, and you know, get. I was eating some macaroni cheese. I ate some things I wouldn't normally eat just because of the the amount of time off we had. Right. And then as you kind of go to phase two, you look at the schedule, you look at how far you are away from your first practice and your first game. You try to okay. You know, Taper it back down. Ta- tailor your diet back down, and start making sure you're getting your seven and nine, or in my case, nine to eleven hours of sleep. Taking my naps and, you know, recharging and getting ready for the season. But just to not have to run up and down the court, jump and travel and, and do all those things, it just gives your body a break. And uh, the game is so long. You know, three fourths of the season done already. You have to be able to to find that balance, or you'll crash. And you know, that's when fatigue can cause you know, different types of injuries.
2: So where were you exactly? And then explain this amazing shark festivities slash pigs. I mean, this looked like the kind of trip that, you know, like you come back from and, you, and you're just feeling great because it was such an incredible experience.
0: Yeah, we ended up flying until, I think it was, was it? Nassau, Bahamas, and the hotel was actually about 15 minutes away from the airport. Uh, The Baja Mar uh, Rosemont Hotel is where we stayed at. There's also an SLS, as well as a Hyatt Atlantis is, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes up the road um, as well. And, you know, very, very nice. Hotel also included a casino where I was able to win some money in blackjack, but that's another story. Uh, the hotel is about eight months old, so very, very new, very, very modern, a lot of new authentic restaurants, Japanese, Chinese, Italian, uh, Mediterranean, uh, among other uh, different types of restaurants. Starbucks seemed to be open 24 hours in the hotel, and, and it was always extremely packed, okay. long lines at all times of the day, but they did make some great green tea lattes. So I did enjoy that. And the actual island we went to with the pigs was a Staniel, I don't know how you say it, Kai, Staniel Kai, C-A-Y Island. It was about a 35 minute flight and a 15, 20 minute boat ride. And the sharks, uh, or, you know, people say sharks, the little baby fish that I came in contact with, uh, during my, during my time there, I think they were called, uh, the sharks that don't bite. <laughs> okay. The sharks that are you know more more gentle and, and nice and um, you just don't put your your hands by their mouths and mind your own business and everything will be okay. But I wouldn't advise people doing that in different parts of the world. You know, make sure that it's a it's a safe part that's historically been safe where there's not a lot of shark bites and you know different types of sharks uh, bite and different types of sharks prefer to just have sardines and things of that nature. So, so uh, like it was a once in a lifetime experience. I'm glad I did it. And I don't know if I'd ever do it again.
2: Okay. Okay. Well, go back to your food for a second though. Like, so the first couple of days you kind of let yourself go and then next couple of days you, you tone it down with like the drinks. And then by like the last couple of days, you're just, you, you, you start to refocus your eating
0: habits. How does that work for you? Yeah. You get you a few days of happiness, whatever makes you happy in a sense, from eating to drinking, um, because you have to have that balance. You have to give your brain that release. You have to give your body that release of too much of anything can kind of bring you down in a sense, you know, mentally, you know, not being able to eat French fries and not being able to eat certain fried foods that you like, it can take a toll on you. So you have to, Make yourself happy at times, and you know there's like a there's like a, a funny joke. Um, some people use that DVC when I was in Florida, and it's if I if ice cream makes you happy. Sometimes you should eat ice cream b- before you go to sleep because your overall wellness will be better. You'll feel better about yourself. You'll be more happy, and you'll wake up, you know, more energized and ready to go. So you have to <laughs> find that balance between you know if you like you know barbecue ribs, if you like certain Chinese foods, if you want vegetable egg rolls, you want certain fried foods find that balance that makes you happy while still maintaining, you know, the proper diet, the proper exercise, the proper sleep, and uh, it won't set you back. So a few days of eating bad things didn't hurt me. Uh, I had some red wine, had some other drinks, uh, that I enjoy when I'm on the islands. And then I got back to the water diet and, uh, Tighten things back up, steam room, stretch foam roll, and got myself ready to to play a uh, twenty five plus playoff stretch.
2: Well, let's get into that. I mean, you know, as a whole with All Star, um, one of the one of the themes uh, for me was just uh, how like everybody was talking about how balanced the East is and how how dominant uh, Milwaukee's been. But like, is Toronto gonna gonna make a run? You know, where does Boston fit in? How about Philadelphia? Because of Tobias Harris and, and that seemed to be a topic of conversation um a lot. Also I think another another big topic was was Kyrie Irving and you know his his push here with the Celtics. I think there is something f- I left All Star Weekend CJ with a thought process that there is something for Kyrie Irving in him that makes him feel like he has to, he, he has to prove himself that much more in the playoffs because they did have success with him
0: without him last year. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I think that Kyrie definitely puts pressure on himself just like most athletes. You want to perform to the best of your ability. You want to be able to come through big in big moments. You want to be consistent. You want to have that knack for for making big plays uh in big moments. And I think that you know Kyrie has historically done those things, but this last playoff, you know, he ended up missing it. The young Celtics did well. They were essentially one game away from going to the finals, and I think that's in the back of his mind, and I think as a competitor, he feels like they are good enough to get to the finals with him and potentially win the finals with him out there. So I think that, you know, based on you know what I've seen from from players historically, he's going to approach the game the same way he always has. You know, being himself is enough to, to, to have success because history shows Kyrie has been successful in big moments. He's hit big shots. Yeah. Um, he's hit crazy finishes around the basket and has consistently hit you know, crazy shots. So I think it's just more about him staying healthy and having the right mental approach, having the right physical approach to take care of his body and to uh, to avoid those things that he can control. You know, how much sleep he's getting, what he's eating, trying to taper those things down the stretch because, you know, one little mishap, you know, not getting the right amount of sleep or eating the wrong thing, your body is, is... usually affected by that in the long run. So this is when things start to catch up to people when you get yeah. to game 60, game 70 and, and into the playoffs. Even if it's mental fatigue, as we've seen from players and heard historically, one of the biggest uh, knocks on James Harden has been that his load is so heavy during the regular season that when the playoffs comes, he falters. So he's talked about dieting and his conditioning and, and figuring out ways to be able to peak in the playoffs, and he said that he has a plan in place, and he feels really good about where he's at and where he'll be during this upcoming playoff.
2: Yeah, you know what's interesting, too, is like um, you could tell where some of the young players that haven't been to the All-Star game or, you know, guys that are are still in their second or third All-Star, the difference between them and the older ones um, was, like, I, I found that dichotomy fascinating. It was almost like the older guys, uh, whether it was Dirk or D. Wade or Braun or, you know, they, they knew what to expect, and they don't get too high in All-Star, whereas the younger players seem to, like, it's not that the older guys don't enjoy all the, all the you know, practices and everything, but the younger players really soak it up, and it was cool to to see that as well,
0: you know? Yeah, I definitely think the younger players, I'm not going to say take more advantage of it or more excited about it but they're definitely you know kind of in all of the situation you know being there with so many celebrities so many stars J. cole's performing at halftime meek mill performing the intro it's just a star-studded event to where it's eye-opening you look at this this spectacle of the all-star game what comes with that how close you are to playing it and and maybe some guys are actually playing in it and it's like a dream come true and almost as if life is coming full circle and i think for LeBron, LeBron, D-Wade, LaMarcus. Sometimes you take it for granted. And then as you get older, you start to appreciate it again that much more realizing that it's almost over. And I think you right. see a lot of those guys going through that that phase of, man, this could be my last one. Oh, Let interesting. I really enjoy this right. one. Make sure my kids are here to see it and, and things right. like that. So like
2: as they're now about to finish, it's like they're almost like they're young guys again
0: because they really want to soak in every moment. Exactly. And I think that happens. And not that they don't soak it in throughout the process, because I think they cherish each one. It's just like playing in the NBA. You cherish each season because it's a blessing, an honor, a privilege to be able to play a game you love while being able to take care of your family, while being able to have that happiness, you know, daily, even though there's pressure and a lot of things that come with it. It's what you dreamed about as a kid. And making the All-Star Game is what you dreamed about as a kid as well. And I think that each year, you know, you kind of stack them up and then you kind of are able to revisit it and look back on it, just like the successes we have throughout life as athletes and as people. A lot of times you don't realize what you've done until you look back and appreciate it. And as you go through years, I think that's when you start to kind of look back and and truly appreciate what you've been able to accomplish and and kind of looking at D. Wade's perspective, I'm sure he's appreciated every one, but this being his last one, uh, probably was a little bit more special. His, his sons were there, his family was there. Uh, being able to, you know, have his daughter be able to watch his first one, something that they'll remember 20 years from now. And understanding the impact he's truly had on the game, I think that you start to see those things. As you start to hear people tell stories about him, yeah. as you start to go through all those old photos, you'd see the, the alley-oop off the backboard. I think it it's life coming full circle again you know, as as you exit. Life as a basketball player. Exactly, life as a basketball player.
2: It was cool. On, on Saturday night, um, they honored D. Wade. I don't know if they show this on TV, but they honored D. Wade. He was sitting courtside with with Gabrielle Union and Zaire Wade, and they were showing, you know, old D. Wade clips. And it was really, it, it was like, it was just a great thing. And, and the crowd really appreciated it. I think Dwayne really appreciated it. it was a, It was a really cool moment. Um, to see. And then on the other side, I was at the the Jordan party Saturday night and, you know, I was talking to, to D'Angelo Russell, who's a first time all-star. And obviously he's been through some things and, and he's really come out the other side on Brooklyn. And I just could tell he was, he was just so happy to be there and to be a part of it. And, uh, you know, that, that dichotomy between a guy like D. Wade, who's a Hall of Famer and who's in his last year, and D'Angelo, who's just getting going, um, having equally appreciated for different reasons was
0: really cool. Yeah, and that's dope to see, you know, the, the hard work, the things that he went through as a player getting traded from L.A., you know, kind of being put in a bubble, so to speak. You know, they talked about leadership. They talked about can he lead a team? Is he— mature enough right. to see all these things, and then he's able to kind of reinvent and reinvent himself, continue to work on his game, continue to sharpen his tools, get better in his pick and roll, pull up, three-point percentage increases, having a great year in the East, and then he's rewarded with an all-star appearance. I think that's dope to see. And for kids out there that don't have success right away, it's important they realize it doesn't always come right away. It takes time to work. It takes time to go through trials and tribulations, and that builds you up for these moments. Then you really truly appreciate them uh, that much more after the struggle. More show in a minute, but first support for pull up with CJ McCollum comes from wix.com with wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos with hundreds of intuitive design features. You can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website. You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event, share everything and to click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their websites. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash pull up to get 10% off. Okay, back to the show. I know we discussed All-Star break. We discussed this playoff push we have to make. But one thing we haven't talked about is college basketball. With it being North Carolina-Duke rivalry night, I say North Carolina first because I've always been a UNC fan because of Mike and some of those legends that came before him. The average ticket price for that game was $2,600, which is the second highest only to the Super Bowl. Now, granted, Duke's arena only holds about 10000 give or take. It's pretty small. It's a rivalry game, intimate setting, ESPN primetime. It's amazing to me how this game can generate so much money. Coaches being paid millions of dollars, shoe companies sponsoring universities for hundreds of millions of dollars. And these kids still aren't able to reap some of those benefits. Granted, they are able to go to school for free. Tuition is paid for, books are paid for. I feel like there's enough money now with all of these extra donations and sponsorships for these kids to be reimbursed, and they risk injuries tonight. As Jordan pointed out as we were recording, Zion's going down with an injury. His shoe, which ironically happens to be Nike's, literally blew out. Jordan, have you ever seen a shoe blow out like this before
2: in college? I don't think I've ever seen it happen, period, in any sport. It's just a—it's very strange, and the more you watch it, the, the, it's almost like it, it gets more and more odd because – it's really hard to believe that a shoe could explode. Like I, I, it's just very odd to me. And, and it, the bigger question it brings about CJ is to expand on what you were saying is, you know, we, we, we talk so much about professional athletes and and the financial gain. um, But think about a college athlete, think about Zion Williamson. And, you know, it costs three grand to get into Cameron, right? Well, he doesn't get a dime of that. and, as incredibly talented as he is, he's in, equally vulnerable. And it saddens me to see him, you know, in this position. Who knows if it's a serious injury, but regardless, I think it brings to light the, the bigger issue here, which is uh, whether or not college athletes should be paid.
0: Yeah, and I actually wrote my my thesis on this, uh, my senior paper in college. And just based on some of the evidence that we've seen from the amount of money being generated in these sports, the TV deals at these universities and conferences they're signing – there's more than enough money to go around. Now, the issues with Title IX is figuring out how to put, how to pay other sports, how to pay lacrosse, how to pay field hockey, and then try to disperse the money properly. The college football and college basketball programs are making enough money, especially at the elite institutions and universities. But looking at this situation, since players aren't, aren't able to go pro, out of high school anymore. They're not able to accept money and it's frowned upon to take the overseas route out of college. Guys like Zion have to risk injury. In this case, as we said before, we hope it's not serious. And in the event that it was a serious injury, I still believe he would be taken number one overall, just based on the doctors and the way you're able to heal from injuries in today's society. I think that he'll be okay regardless because he's Zion Williamson. He's having a terrific year. He has a, an elite level of athleticism and explosion. And the doctors in today's world are able to pretty much heal you and bring you back from almost anything. CJ, I am actually here in Milwaukee with Vin
2: Baker. And let's bring Vinny on to discuss Zion Williamson and the issue at hand, which is whether or not college athletes should be paid. Zion goes down early in the first half against North Carolina. Potential number one pick. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. Vin, what do you think about this issue?
1: Yeah, I think that's you know, obviously, that's even you know it's been talked about for for years now. Uh, I think it's fair to say a college athletes should be paid, or or in some ways they should be insured against uh, injuries like this. I, I believe that football players on the collegiate level can do it, but certainly if you're not going to pay the athlete, the college athlete, someone with Zion Williamson's future, uh, you certainly have to be able to insure. That if something does go wrong, he's he's protected on all levels. I mean, we're talking about a hundred million dollar young man who's you know playing uh, at the college level right now. So you know, in any other business, you know, you protect an investment like that. So why not the college athlete?
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think we talked about the importance of understanding how much money these athletes are generating. Look at this game tonight. $2,600 per ticket is the the minimum. There's tickets going for as much as $9,000, which is on par with the Super Bowl, only second to the Super Bowl in terms of major sporting events. So you have coaches making millions, universities generating hundreds and hundreds of millions based on TV deals and shoe deals with all these companies. And the athletes are... Encouraged to stay in school for four years and earn a degree, which is great, but the upside and, and the downside doesn't match up in these in these types of situations. When you got a hundred million dollar player like Zion, who now unfortunately is out with a knee injury, but I hope it's uh, nothing serious and he's able to return this season. But now he has to look at a question of: Do I sit out the rest of the season and kind of get ready for the draft? Because that's something that his family and and, and staff may have to talk about.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you know, you have to to look at it but but honestly I I think if there's an opportunity uh, from knowing the kid and just listening to him a little bit if there's an opportunity for him to get back on the court I'm sure that he will it will be met met with different opinions two separate opinions one of the mindset that he should just sit out the rest of the season and you know obviously there's some people that said that will say he should you know finish the season um, with the Blue Devils and get back on the course. So it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully, our prayers go out to him and his family that uh, the injury's not that serious and he'll be able to get a speedy recovery. Vin, so happy you're on Pull-Up Pod. Appreciate
2: you taking the time, my man. Um, one of the cool things about your job, and, and for those who don't know, Vin is working with the Bucks as an assistant coach, and he's, he's doing scouting, uh, player development, um, X's and O's, everything. But I think, for me at least, the coolest part of your job is is the opportunity to work with the young players, specifically uh, Giannis. And you, you developed a really special relationship with him. What, what is it about him that surprised you that you didn't expect? We've talked, you and I have talked a lot about his humility, but is there, is there anything that he does or continues to do that you didn't expect out of such a young superstar?
1: Yeah, I just think Giannis is the hardest working 23 year old uh, in the business, or maybe the hardest working player in the business and, and that's with all due to respect to the people I haven't seen their personal and private workouts but Giannis uh comes into the gym every day um pushes it to the max not only on the court to work on his game to improve his game but he, he puts in uh just as much work in the weight room uh, takes care of his body uh, on every level, and I, I just think the humility he still is hungry and uh, a lot of times when players have that much success or the success that he's had so early in his career, the hunger just naturally goes away. But uh, since I've been here the last three years, I've just seen his hunger increase and uh, he wants to get better. He knows exactly what he needs to work on. And the guy is just you know, a machine. I mean, he comes into the gym. He has his mind made up on what needs to, he needs to work on. He gets at it, no nonsense, and he improves every single day. So I, I think it's just the mindset of not letting the success that he's enjoyed individually, and certainly now as a team, change uh, who he is and change what he wants to become. And I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's the most uh, outstanding thing, or the, you know, the most notable thing about what I see from him every day is his want, his will, and his want to get better.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm a big Giannis fan with him coming out of my draft, and funny story for you, he actually played against my brother in Greece uh, years ago before he was in the NBA. He was in uh, second division Greece. My brother had told me about him, how long and athletic he was, and that he was very raw, but he had a lot of upside in. Just to see the progressions he's made, obviously he's put the time in, he's put the work in, his body has transformed, his game has transformed, his ability to, to make others better around him, I think it shows. Why don't you think he gets the credit that he deserves from a a standpoint of being considered an MVP candidate? I think a lot of times people are talking about James, they're talking about Paul George, but here's a guy averaging 26-12-6, leading his team to the best record in the NBA. and Not to say that he's slight or not talked about because he has a big following and he's been an all-star and he's done those things, but I just feel like
1: some people take his game for granted. Uh, Do you agree with that? No, I I, I actually actually agree with that. Um, I I think you know, um, he's had to work himself. I think us being the number one team in the East, having the best record in the East and in the league right now is, has really, you know, kind of served notice. I, I think it's just interesting. I think the fact that we bring other people hard is on the streak of 30-point consecutive games. And, you know, Paul George is having a heck of a year. I think it's always a conversation piece. The MVP talk is always a race between three or four candidates. And I, I honestly don't see a problem with the Paul George, uh, you know, his name being mentioned. Harden, I struggle with a little bit just because, you know, Yanni has the Bucks at the top of the at the league right now as far as record is concerned. Um, but I, I just think, you know, it's always conversation piece. I think there's always two or three guys that you can mention. But I, I think our guys clear-cut the favor to win uh, the MVP award this year. Again, as you mentioned, um, he's, you know, putting up massive numbers like he's done in the past, and he has the best team with the best record in the East as we speak right now. So I, I think if it ended tomorrow, and, and this may be wishful thinking, but I think Yanni would win the award going away. I think there's other people deserving, but I just think, like in any year, but I think this is the year that he deserves to win it, and uh, certainly will you know, the Bucks will do their part to continue to put on, you know, be the number one seed, hopefully be the number one seed at the end of the year. Um, but I think this kid deserves to be, and, and I think the MVP candidate, to be honest let me just add one thing, see, I think the MVP candidate stands for something. I think it needs, he needs to represent not only just individual stats, but certainly for his city and for his team, but the type of character and person that Giannis is. I think he's an ambassador for our league. And so I just think it's his time and if you're talking about an MVP candidate that checks off all boxes, I think Giannis is the guy.
2: I agree. And CJ and I had this conversation last week, Vin, about, you know, the the three or four heavy candidates and Giannis was my pick and um you know, there's still a lot of basketball to be played, but I, I do agree with you. Um given given your story, Vin, um, and you've been at the top of the mountaintop and you've been back down and then now you're back up again. In a way that I think is probably more rewarding to you than ever before uh, financially, because of how you're able to impact young people. Uh, you're a registered minister. You've been sober for seven years, and I just wonder for you how important uh, it has been to to be around basketball again, to be where it all started in Milwaukee, and taking it a step further. What are some of the young guys on the Bucks asking you um, in terms of advice off the floor?
1: So you know, I'm just to to answer the first part of that, Jay. I'm just really blessed and fortunate, and it's really, really surreal for me. You know, being a four time All Star and then going through everything that I've gone through um, this past weekend was just a tremendous blessing. I can't even begin to tell you what that meant to me and my family. Just you know, being there, and, you know, obviously being on a coaching staff um, with with the Bucks, but it's, it's just been a tremendous journey for me to get back to the league and. You know, it's, for me, it's not just being back and being a coach. It's it's the things that I feel like I can offer these young men, not just from a basketball perspective, but from a life perspective. And I just, you know, sometimes they ask me, and, and, and I just talk about some of the experiences that I've had. I don't talk about it a lot. I like to have a ministry of presence, and, you know, I, and I, I am a coach, and so I, I work on my mentoring, but I also work on the coaching aspect. And I think when you can combine both of them, uh, you you know, obviously the guys know what I was as a player, but they also know what some of the things happened, uh, some of the things that happened to me off the court. So when you can combine those two things and say it constructive, um, be constructive, uh, talk to them from a level of empathy and understanding I was a player. I know exactly what you're going through, you know, both on and off the court. And you have to be, I have to be responsible with that voice. So, um, I think I've been able to balance that since I've been in here been back in Milwaukee, being able to know knowing when to kind of say things and knowing when to let the guys kind of live through their situations both on and off the court. And we, we have, you know, we have high-character kids here. All of our kids in our locker room are tremendous from Giannis to Chris to Eric, Malcolm, Brooke, you know, all all down the line, we have some tremendous high-character kids here. So, it's just been a perfect fit, not only for me being back in Milwaukee, but they they have provided me with a lot of joy, and a lot of happiness, you know, a lot of organic joy and happiness. Um, and, and as you mentioned, you know, being in my eighth year sobriety, it's just been a tremendous year for me, even better than when I was an all-star here. This has been like my best year in, in Milwaukee ever.
0: And that's awesome. That's awesome to hear, and I think for listeners out there that that don't remember, I always read the the history of each guest. And you're talking about a a guy who went to Harvard University, of Harvard, so small school. You know, I see the similarities in, in myself having having gone through a small school and the appreciation I have for the game, the appreciation I have for life because you had to work for everything right. uh, that came your way. Being the eighth pick in the draft, right? Guy who played in the league for 15 years, like you said before, four All Star appearances. Um, and now at 47, you've been through so much in your life. And as, as Jay referenced, a lot of times when I have guests on the podcast, I, I think it's important they talk about, you know, being able to overcome obstacles, mm-hmm. understanding that in life, you know, people see what they see on TV, they see the the guys that make hundreds of millions of dollars, they see us hitting big shots, but they don't understand the small battles we go through on a day-to-day basis with stress and anxiety. So I, I appreciate you sharing right. you know, some of those stories and, and just kind of giving people an insight look at how appreciative you are being at All-Star Weekend. You know, now as a coach, you said you said something that I think resonated with me is that this is the happiest you've been at All Star Weekend. Having been an All Star, which is yeah. you know, kinda of shows you the appreciation you have.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely see. And and, and one thing I, I I I talk about with people a lot, seeing it's like the fall we we'll all have a fall. We'll all go through some trials and tribulations. Um, but for me, the fall isn't really the issue. It's it's if, hey, you don't get back up or try to get back up and B one B is if I don't share, you know, my situation and my experiences, I think that's more egregious than just falling down. Like if I don't get up and and a try to get up and then I don't share my, my testimony with uh, the next player or the young man who's coming along that are walking in the same shoes that I did. And I allow him to fail. then that's where I think the crime is. That's where I think the issue is. So again, I'm grateful for the Bucks, man, and you know, grateful for UC to and UJ to have me on the podcast to share my testimony, man. Like, for me, it's just about giving back. Um, if you'd have told me, you know, ten years ago when all my stuff was going on, that one day I'd be, uh, you know, eight years of sobriety and being an assistant with the Milwaukee Bucks and being coaching one of the greatest players in the game, I, I probably would have laughed. And I think most of you around me would have laughed. So I have a sense, every day I wake up, I have a sense of appreciation of where I've come from, um, what I've been through, and obviously the miracle. I have a responsibility to carry this miracle and to share it with other people. And so, you know, I'm I'm blessed to be here in Milwaukee and share with the guys anywhere I can. Uh, We have something here special and, and it's just a blessing to be a part of it.
2: Vin, can you explain the balance for you of sharing your story but not pushing the narrative with young players because you want to let them figure figure it out on their own, but, you know, at the same time, you, you don't want them to make the same mistakes.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a real balance. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about being, you know, it's 2019, so, you know, the guys can read the story. Um, you know, it's not like I can walk in. It's not like when I came back three years ago, um, the guys didn't know exactly some of the things. It's not everything. Some of the things that I've been through, in particular, you know, kind of losing my career, due to addiction so that was you know I really didn't have to you know I I talked about it when I first got back to a few of the players and sat down with them Um, but after that it was just more about leading by example I mean once you tell the story I think one of the things that you want to do is show by the life that you that you lead and so you know showing up at uh, on time every day at work being grateful you know for the opportunity to be in the gym it's little things like that like as a player, I know some days coming into practice facility can be tough. It's a long season. So when I pop up every day, you know, I've got the energy of sobriety. Like first thing in the morning, I'm I'm just grateful that I didn't wake up with the thoughts of, of drinking. So I got to walk into the facility with that kind of energy. I got to bring energy, um, you know, that being here for an hour and a half isn't that bad or being here for 50 minutes isn't that bad. So a lot of times it's not what I say it's more how I act. It's more the energy that I bring. So I'm so grateful, you know, to be alive every morning. Like I never lose that. I have a healthy fear of where I was. And so, and I also have a a real joy of where I am. And so when I have that joy, you know, you know, see how the season can get, you know, it can get long, get tedious, Look, wins, losses, winning streaks, losing streaks, fans, all that stuff. So, what I try to do is bring perspective to my guys um, every day about how blessed we are to be in this situation and, and it could be here today and gone tomorrow. So, you know, that's what I try to do is bring perspective uh, where I was and where I am now. And uh, again, it's a platform that I I, I take very serious. Uh, It's a responsibility of mine. And and again, a lot of times it's not what I say. It's just the energy that I bring. Yeah, I would agree
0: with that. And that's, That's cool that you recognize the impact you're having on them because as a former player, you know what it's like. Regardless of how well the season is going, we go through crazy mood swings Mm -hmm. Uh, randomly. Days you wake up, you might not even want to hoop, and you don't know why. Your body's tired, you're fatigued. Something's kind of just getting on your nerves and to have those positive influences around them and someone who's excited to come to work every day and kind of allows you to look on the bright side and realize how fortunate we are. That's, That's important and crucial, especially for young impressionable men. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's that's awesome that you do that. And you mentioned that in 2019, the game has kind of changed and, and obviously the social media, and the things we have at our disposal today can impact the game in a positive and negative way. Uh, looking at you know what the game was like when you played, you played for the Olympic team in 2000, where there was a bounty out on Yao Ming. I'm sure you had some teammates who may or may not have been recruiting each other. What type of similarities do you see in this generation of basketball? Uh, compared to what it was like, you know, when you played back in the uh, late '90s and early 2000s.
1: So, see, so you mean in terms of the game, the style of play, or just as far as the personalities are concerned? I
0: would say that the game and style of play, and then the fact that obviously guys seem to be more friendly now. Uh, I think you guys were friends back in the day, but not as friendly as guys are now in terms of yeah. either teaming up with each other or just kind of fraternizing more so than what we're accustomed to seeing or what what was showcased to me when I watch TV games and, and when I look back at the YouTube videos of Jordan walking into the to the Hawks locker room
1: and saying I'm gonna drop
0: fifty tonight yeah and then going and dropping yeah <laughs>
1: yeah I, I I think the game has changed changed so much obviously see but I I, I will say this and I just share this. I just had a conversation with a few people earlier tonight. And I will say this, like, take, we talk about the nineties, but, but the game has changed like in the last three years. So you look at uh, Deandre Jordan and, and, you know, if you guys remember like three years ago when he was being courted by both the Mavericks and the Clippers. So we're talking about three years ago, um, you know, DeAndre Jordan was one of the most sought-after big men in our game, and he's still a very talented young man. But three years later, you know, we we have Brook Lopez, and I don't think there would be—you'd get any argument from anyone around the league—the value of having a seven-foot-two guy who can shoot the three-pointer and spread the floor. So we're not even talking about the '90s; we're talking about within recent years. The game has just changed, and you know, you have seven-footers now who can shoot the ball. Um, from distance and and they're at a premium. They're like the most. They can be the most important guys on your floor. Whereas in the '90s, obviously, uh, if you shot the three ball, you know there, there, there was a little bit of stigma. You you might have some softness to yes. you if you were big. Yes. Yes. So so the game has changed from that standpoint. Like you know Shaquille O'Neal, Alonzo Mourning, David Robinson, and all the great centers, Patrick Ewing of that time. You know, wouldn't even think about you know going out and shooting threes. But I, I will say this in defense of the '90s, because I'm a '90s guy, and I want just because I'm coaching with the Bucks after you know, you know, the, the, in defense of the '90s, you know, they were dominant big, like super dominant big men. It's just where the game was at the time. So um, I I gotta kind of bail my guys out. Yeah, we we didn't you know step out to the three point line because at the time, Elijah Olajuwon. You know, David Robinson, Shaquille O'Neal, even the power forwards in that game were so dominant that you knew you could get a guaranteed bucket almost every time down the court. The percentages were just better. You got a guy shooting 59, 57, 58% from here, and you got guys shooting 30, 35% from there. It was more of a percentage game. It was a talent game. Like, that's where the talent was at the time. And so, obviously, the game has changed so much now. Um, and I have, and I'll say this too to your point, C, about guys, you know, picking and choosing teams to go to, you know, via free agency. You know, they're, they're the fraternizing that went on back in the day, it it was it was real. I I don't think players had as much control as they do now, as far as where they go. But players fraternized, and I know it, it seems like the bad boys of the '80s, and it was always these crazy fights, but. You know, there was always Cancun and there was always All-Star Weekends where guys got together. I think people don't want to give players credit today because they've kind of taken over their own destiny and they've kind of taken over their own careers. And so I think that's the biggest change is that before the organizations could dictate and determine where you could go and end up, and now players have taken that into their own hands. So it's been, in my opinion, a shift of power. It really is not about the 90s player versus the today's player it's it's more about players have taken ownership of their own careers and if it if it looks better for me to play there um i'm not going to wait for the gm to tell me i'm going to tell the gm that it that it's best that i move on from where i am right now and i i personally don't see i think it's the way you do it but i personally don't see a huge issue of someone dictating are determining that it's time for them to move into a different situation.
2: A lot of ground cover there have been, and I agree with it. Um, for one, Brooke Lopez didn't shoot threes. He didn't even take a three-pointer his first five years. And now that, that's what he does, to your point. Th- this would have been called soft when you played. Mm-hmm. When you played, you were ahead of your time because you were shooting 18-footers and you were picking and popping when bigs didn't come out past 10 feet. Right. So the game has changed a lot. But to your point, more than anything, the game has changed off the floor because players have so much more influence now and so much more power, and and CJ and I have discussed this at length. I think it's a very healthy thing for the NBA, and I think it speaks to the quality of the superstar we have now, um, the LeBrons, the Dwayne Wades, that have taken taken ownership of the situation in a way that you know, great players like the Allen Iversons or Gary Paytons did not do in the
1: late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, I, I agree, Jay. I just think, you know, you want to give kudos to these players who have learned not only, obviously, to play and master their craft, but they've learned the business of basketball. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just an opportunity for them to not only flex their muscle, they are the, the basketball players are the product. Uh, they've become businessmen and it's it's really uh, great to see these young men kind of take on um, their careers and take on their futures and as long as you in my opinion as long as it's done responsibly uh, you know I, I support any player who thinks it's a best move for him to move on to another team.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's all about your approach and how you do it. There's a way to handle certain situations when you want that flexibility, when you want that freedom, when you feel like you're no longer happy and don't want to be there. And I feel like there's a way that can be, you know, sort of detrimental to your team and and some of the players around you. But it's just about finding that proper balance. And I know you guys have a a long night ahead and I don't want to keep you guys too, too late. I know you guys probably have a TV game tomorrow. We got a game tomorrow as well. But before you go, I ask that you, you share any Gary Payton stories, any, any great trash-talking stories you have. <laughs> uh, I, I tell KG random KG stories, but I think that GP was one of the best talkers in the world.
1: Yeah, so there's so many great, like, you know, just great stories with, with GP. So, And I've heard you speak, See, and I, I think you are a great ambassador for our league, by the way, and it's a pleasure to listen to you speak I've heard you on T V and, and certainly heard your you know podcast and, and, and you speak eloquent and, and, and you do the league you do well by the league and we're proud of you brother. So um the the Gary Payton story is like nothing particular that I can repeat. <laughs> um I just think like the, the, the stuff that the thing that struck me about Gary's trash talking is like and I think he's mentioned this before, is like Gary really didn't trash talk normally. Like it wasn't like I'm I'm busting your tail or (laughs) you can't guard me. Like some of his stuff went to like the core of your human nature. Like it was a weird, like, and I would hear it. I'm like, I'm saying to myself, did he just say that? Like, I don't even know how they're going to respond to it because that was so like, outside of basketball that <laughs> I don't know where we're going to go with this right now. Cause <laughs> Gary would just, it wasn't like a back and forth thing with him. He, he knew 90, probably 95% of the time he was the better player on the, than, than who he was trash talking. So if the player kept, that was an insult to him, like that players would kind of like challenge him. And, and most of the players knew that he was better. So, and it would get to other stuff, like personal stuff. And I, I don't mean, like, crazy stuff. But just, like, there's there's no way you should even be on uh, in the league nonetheless trying to talk to me. like, <laughs> And I could see, like, players literally, like, start to question some of the crazy stuff that he would say. Like, how did you know that? And who told you that? So Gary, Gary went to the, his trash talk and was different, man. You You have some basketball trash talkers. Like, Reggie Miller was a basketball trash talker. Gary was like a human nature. He <laughs> went after your whole being and your history. And and that, that's what kind of... Some nights it was funny. Some nights it shocked me. And some nights, it's, I'm going to be honest with you, it scared me. Like, I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> after, after this is going down. So, But, but, it, that, but the, the beauty of his trash talking is it really fueled him, like, the interesting part was it, it, he, he, didn't, he didn't feel comfortable being quiet.
2: You're bringing back so many great memories. And what's, what's funny about Gary is Gary was the rare player, let alone superstar, who thrived under dysfunction. So when other players would shrink because, like you said, he would attack them as human beings or something was wrong and he got suspended or whatever it was, Gary was the kind of person that he needed that, and he would thrive under it, even though the rest of the team couldn't possibly function normally. and that i just I just remember Gary Vin going after guys. Just ruthlessly, and he was such a great defensive. He was such a weapon defensively. The club. i mean, that was his nickname—that he 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 put guys in a blender. And he was great in the post. He would tell guys how small they were all the time. I mean, he was relentless. And uh, I going back to what you said about him being scary. Like, do you feel like other players on on the Sonics actually felt the same way too? Like, where they were like, "Yo, gee, this, this is this is too much, man."
1: So, yeah, I, I think when I first got there, like, the guy, my guys, like, that left all the veterans who were there prior to me getting there, that left Hersey, Nate, they, they all knew, Sam Perkins, they all knew, you know, what, it, I, I think I was the only one, really, that was scared uh, of what was going to happen, but I think they had become accustomed to, to, you know, Gary's trash talking, and, and so... Yeah, I, I think that it was interesting because most of those guys didn't like Hersey was a quiet guy, Nate was a quiet guy, Sam that left. So you know, it was mostly Gary all the time, um, and I think they had become used to it. And, and uh, again, it was it was not only it, it not only fueled him, but in some ways it did fuel it fueled the entire team because when he when he gets going and he's trash talking, you're either gonna join him. It's fight or flight with him, so he makes you choose a side, and 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 really that can galvanize a team sometimes. When you know your guy is going at another guy, um, it, it can galvanize a team in some ways.
0: Oh, that's that's great to hear, and I appreciate you sharing that insight. I always think it's interesting to see, you know, what certain guys were like, what they were talking about. Obviously, GP said a lot of different things, and at times probably got out of the pocket, which is normal at times in, in in today's NBA a lot of times we'll take it to that level but for GP to consistently do it every night and to use that those words to kind of get himself going i think it's a unique way you know in, in today's society to, to figure out what motivates you so, yeah uh, I appreciate you coming on man I, I've been a fan of your game for a long time and uh, just uh, your story in general is inspiring just to see you know what you've been able to overcome and th- the fact that you went to a mid- major man that makes it even more even even
1: better. Well, I'm a big fan of your C as well and I, I, I have to tell you, man, I wasn't too big a fan when you put that forty piece on us early in the year. So but I, I'm a big fan of you both both on and off the court, man, and I, I wish you continued success. I know you're gonna be amazing and do amazing things, man. And I have a fun I have a great feeling that we'll be talking about you in this MVP race in the next couple of years, man. Uh, I appreciate that, man. Thank you. It means a lot. Ben, thank you so much, my man. All right, thank you guys.
0: We'll have more show in a minute, but first I want to tell you about Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon's mission is simple. To make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. And frankly, Mack Weldon is better than what you're wearing right now. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies and sweatpants and more that you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. I know, it got me too. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you. No questions asked. Not only does Mack underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. It's good for working out, going to work, going out on dates, just everyday life. I hopped on the site, and in a few minutes, I got myself some gloves and socks. I'm looking forward to wearing both this winter. And if it keeps snowing like this, I'll be wearing them every day. For 20% off your first order, visit macweldon.com and enter the promo code PULLUP at checkout. Once again, we want to thank our special guest, Ben Baker, for calling into the Pull Up Pod. Uh, great guy, great story, coming from a mid-major. Uh, just, just thankful he was able to share his testimony and just kind of tell his story about you know, what he's been able to overcome in his life. A guy who played 15 years in the league, four-time All-Star, record-breaker, has his jersey in the rafters at Hartford all-around stand-up guy and Jordan's there in Milwaukee with him and he will tell you guys about that as well <laughs> and you can catch us on Apple Podcasts radio.com backslash pull up with CJ or wherever you get your shows so don't forget to
1: pull, pull up, up.